This is Bonjour Chai, the Alana is Significantly Younger Than Israel edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal. I am here with Alana Zakon in Montreal. David is not able to join us this week, uh, but we nevertheless are still your frozen chosen. On today's episode, we have an extended interview with Dr. Rhonda Lenton, the president of York University, and Alana and I get into the nitty gritty of Mother's Day. Is it Jewish? Is it good for the Jews? Stay tuned to find out. Alana, happy Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Thank you. It's also um, happy, I was going to say happy Yom Huledet. That doesn't sound very good. Yom Huledet Sameach. It's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to, you were going to say thank you and I was going to say, and happy birthday. Happy birthday, Alana. You don't have to tell us how old you are. It's all good. But Actually, you are younger than Israel. I don't mind because there's like a funny little thing with that is um, my 29th uh, column is coming out this week and I am turning 29. There's just like a lot of, you know, Israel, Ooh, column me, okay. it's all just coalescing very nicely. Well, stay tuned for Alana's big 30th birthday bash, which is going to be exclusively for Bonjour High listeners in exactly a year from now, or not. Um, no, Alana's like, no, please don't. We'll please see. don't. Um, <laughs> Alana, how have you been? How, it's another spin around the sun for you, for Israel. I've been so busy. Um... I'm in the final stretch of my show. We have performances running until Sunday. So that's kind of my life right now. But it's strange because for the last five or six weeks, I've been like in rehearsals and then like not having time for anything else. And now that I'm in shows, I have all this free time during the day that I actually don't like having. I like being busy. So I'm like trying to find things to do during the day. I hear. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my thing. And then after this, we'll see what happens next. How, how have you been? I've been good. I, I did get to see uh, Mazel Tov this week, which is running through this weekend. Um, so if you haven't yet seen it, you should go check it out. I did see it. I uh, It was quite interesting. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Wonderful performance by Alana and all of her uh, co-stars in the show. We will unpack it at a later date. So, I mean, without getting into too much of the chit-chat that uh, we sometimes love to do, but uh, we have this great interview with Dr. Rhonda Lenton, uh, president of York University. So let's get right into that after a word from our sponsor. From award-winning journalist Marsha Lederman comes Kiss the Red Stairs, a compelling memoir of Holocaust survival, intergenerational trauma, divorce, and discovery that will guide readers through several lifetimes of monumental change. Marsha was five when a simple question led to a horrifying answer. She asked her mother why she didn't have any grandparents. Her mother told her the truth, the Holocaust. Decades later, her parents dead and herself a mother to a young son, Marsha begins to wonder how much history has shaped her own life. Reeling in the wake of a divorce, she craves her parents' help, but in their absence, she is gripped by a need to understand the trauma they suffered, and she begins her own journey into the past to tell her family stories of loss and resilience. Kiss the Red Stairs, available now wherever books are sold. So it seems as if much of the conversation around Jewish life in Canada revolves around university campuses. 
BDS motions, anti-Semitism, the safety of Jewish students, they all seem to loom large in the public imagination. We figured we'd go to the source, and we are joined today by the president of York University, Rhonda Lenton. Dr. Lenton, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. So Jewish Canadians, as I just mentioned, seem to have this view that university campuses are battlegrounds where Jewish students are besieged under constant attack by BDS activists and by anti-Semitism in general. What is life actually like for Jewish students at York University? You know, I want to say that in general, it should be of no surprise to anyone that these difficult topics of what's happening around the world are, do play out on, at univers on university campuses. Uh, we are supposed to be a place that leads in having difficult conversations, in taking on difficult problems. I mean, York's origins are very, and our current vision is very much about strengthening our impact on the UN SDGs, driving positive change. And so, um, you know, you would expect that these challenges would occur. And, and also, if universities are not going to protect, you know, free speech and a place to have these difficult conversations, I, I don't know who will um, protect that space. So on the one hand, you sort of, we have to acknowledge that there are some challenges um, at universities when different diverse students come together with very different groups from not only domestically, but from around the world. But I think that the portrayal of universities as somehow unique places where anti-Semitism plays out, rather than understanding that universities are diverse communities York is certainly like a small city. You know, U of T, McGill, I mean, we're U of UBC, we have some very large universities in Canada. And so we're going to experience, you know, some of the same challenges that the broader community is experiencing. But the notion that somehow universities are worse off, that, that anti-Semitism is higher at, at universities as opposed to in the general population, that I don't think is accurate. And I think we've really seen historically at York different portrayals of York University and, and some other universities as well as somehow a very unpleasant place for Jewish students. And I just don't believe that that is accurate at all. There's so many contrary, so much contrary evidence that one could talk about from, you know, the strength of Hillel to the fact that we offer one of the very few Jewish uh, education programs, maybe perhaps the only Jewish teacher education programs in Canada. We offer a very broad range of different courses. Um, and so there's so much different, uh, there's so much contrary evidence around that. And I think people really need to understand the difference between us being a place where we do take on these difficult issues versus the general everyday life of our Jewish students. That does not mean that individual Jewish students on our campus don't experience anti-Semitism. I think that in the same as in the community, we know that anti-Semitism is on the rise and there would be no reason to believe that universities as large diverse communities would somehow be exempt from the challenge of anti-Semitism. And you'll, in classrooms, we know that some of our students find it really difficult especially with the, the confounding of criticism against the state of Israel and anti-Semitism. And I think we've got to be very attentive, certainly as the president of the university, 
and as the senior leadership and all of our faculty and our staff, we have to be attentive to what actions we need to take to make sure that we are addressing any type of discrimination. And that includes anti-Semitism and that we're creating spaces where all our community can be feel free to speak and defend their own views and feel welcome. So universities have to have a high bar on this. So there's a lot of talk these days about equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I know that has seeped into universities and various spaces. And while it's helping a lot of um, minorities, like the indigenous community, the black community, um, Jews are often left out of this conversation. And you brought it up uh, just a moment ago that uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict is often the source of a lot of this anti-Semitism. So how do we include Jews in that discussion without it turning into a conversation or a conflict about the Middle East? Well, you know, again, I think it's really important that I, I, I just want to just address one thing you said about the situation in Israel or in the Middle East being the cause of anti-Semitism. I, I think that that's not exactly how I would frame it. I think that the two issues get confounded and that sometimes the unhappiness with actions that are being taken by the state of Israel can incite anti-Semitism, but, but I, I think it's not exactly accurate to say it's the cause of anti-Semitism. Yeah, but I think the, the question still is, you know, the point still of the fact that every single time, because of what you're saying is completely true, the fact remains that every time that anti-Semitism is brought up, Jews are feel like they have to rehash this conflict um, because that's where um, they're being pushed against in terms of, you know, where that anti-Semitism is. The other side says, well, it's not just anti-Semitism, it's anti-Zionism. And people just go and say, well, no, the, those are the same, those are not. And then then that conflict. How do we deal with the issue of anti-Semitism on campus without the fact, without dealing with um, anti um, without the Middle East conflict having to be rehashed every single time we want to talk about anti-Semitism. Yeah. You know, I want to say that we are well aware that there are human rights issues that are being, that are played out around the world. And there is no doubt at all that more attention is given to the situation in the politics in the Middle East, perhaps, and even the other human rights issues um, anywhere else around the world. And do you think we have to take on the, as part of our understanding of creating a welcoming space on our campuses and not putting Jewish students in the position of feeling that they have to defend um, the, what's happening in, in the Middle East? Uh, I think that it, that is an issue. And that does play out in a number of courses where not only political science courses or uh, you know, courses that, where you might expect these issues to come up for discussion, but in other courses in general. And Jewish students absolutely should not be in the position of having to defend specifically uh, or a uh, focus on what is going on in the Middle East. However, we do have to make sure that we're creating space for the broader discussion, whether or not it makes us uncomfortable or not, about the political situation in the Middle East, as well as elsewhere around the world. And that may indeed, I mean, we always say to our students that you don't come to university to just feel comfortable. 
you know, you universities will often make people feel uncomfortable to a certain extent. But people, but what's important is that everybody has to be able to feel that we're um, able to, to to debate these issues and to discuss these issues in a civil way that respects each other's views, and that criticizing the state of Israel for some of the actions that it's taking um, is not an excuse for anti-Semitism in any way whatsoever. And so if people are, if you see, depending on the kind of the nature of the debate, if we're holding Israel to a high standard, a higher standard than elsewhere in the country, if we're somehow criticizing all Israelis because of actions that are being uh, undertaken by the state of Israel, these are very worrisome uh, trends that have to be addressed. I just want to pull up a quote that uh, was written in 2021 by Taylor Levy, journalist Jewish on campus, um, where she says, Jewish students are called apartheid, apologists, baby killers, and Nazis. Jewish students see anti-Semitic graffiti in bathrooms, lecture halls, and in the library. Jewish students are forced to sit quietly while professors and peers go on deeply anti-Semitic rants. Jewish students have had their campaign posters ripped off the walls and defaced. One Jewish student on the campus even had a swastika shoved in his face. None of this comes as a a surprise to Jewish students at York. So without beating around the bush, from a lot of what we see in the media, York is getting a lot of criticism around this issue. And so I want to know what the university is actually doing about it. Because I I hear you saying that you recognize that as a problem, but how how do you actually deal with the problem? Like what is you, whether you as president or the school or the school board, um, yeah, what, what, what are the ways that the school is trying to actually fix this issue? You know, I'll talk about one specific um, s- series of steps that we took that I actually think are working. Because if you were to document the specific incidences that have taken place at universities uh, in North America and including universities in Ontario and Canada over the last couple of years, I would be pretty confident in saying that York has actually not been the university that you have been hearing about uh, in recent news. And I, I won't cite the universities that, that, that have been um, you know, highly profiled in, in regarding some of these actions. I think that these, are, these actions occur at almost every university uh, in Canada and that they absolutely have to be addressed. And when we had an incredibly uh, challenging situation a couple of years ago now that involved speakers that were brought on to the Keele campus, we decided that we cannot, we have to deal with this head on. And the, the, uh, the line that universities use cannot simply be whether or not behavior meets the threshold of hate, because that's a very high bar, actually. Universities have a higher responsibility to create a welcoming environment for students where they can debate these issues safely. So we hired a retired judge, Judge Cromwell. We had him do a thorough investigation of interviewing everyone that was involved in this. We used this one particular incident as a really uh, awful example of what can occur at on university campuses. He came after a lengthy investigation, he came back with a series of recommendations in the Cromwell report 
we embraced those recommendations and created what we call the Open and Inclusive Dialogue Initiative, which had a whole series of initiatives that we undertook that started from the premise of education. We are a higher education institution. We have a responsibility to educate who, um, a community that's often quite young and frankly, often not always fully informed about history, about the actual um, uh, situation that is occurring in any particular area of the world, or in, in this case, the Middle East, and talking specifically about the expectations that we would have for student clubs, for students that we really started with the students, although the open and inclusive dialogue goes broader to include faculty and staff, we linked it as well to our university acad academic plan around how you create, you know, uh, uh, how you address well-being on our campus. And we have now been rolling out those different initiatives, which include expectations from everything from how you hold meetings to the use of space to educate, require education for all student leaders. It's very all-encompassing. And we also addressed what to have a very clear set of processes that we would put in place if those expectations were not being met. And I think it's a responsibility, frankly, of all universities to take on difficult issues when they occur um, and be open about it and to start trying to put in place the initiatives that you can in order to address any discrimination, anti-Semitism, indigenous discrimination, anti-black racism. I mean, we've been very focused in rolling out those initiatives over the last couple of years. I'd like to uh, shift gears for a second and move on to some of your work as a sociologist, because I think that some of the research that you did is actually relevant to this conversation. Um, so you published a study recently entitled uh, Jewish Religious Intermarriage in Canada. You published it with your husband, Robert Brim, who we actually had on the podcast last year to discuss uh, the Pew study. Um, and for many years, I've been arguing that people should be sending their children to Jewish high schools instead of elementary schools. Uh, and in fact, your research shows that secondary school attendance, along with summer camp or other Jewish extracurricular programs, dramatically shifts the rates of religious intermarriage. I have my own theories as to why, uh, but I'd like to hear from you. Why do you think this happens, that when we send kids to Jewish high schools or Jewish summer camps, um, rates of intermarriage um, drop precipitously as one of the factors? When you spoke to my husband, I'm sure you know he, he shared with you the comparisons that we did between all the Pew data that was done in the U.S. and the much higher rates of assimilation versus what we were described as the exceptionalism uh, that, that characterizes Canada. And when, you know, the, when we looked at the, the data and, all the, and found especially the much higher rates of uh, engagement um, in uh, a whole variety of activities uh, from, you know, attendance at, at camps and sh lighting Shabbat candles and belonging to a synagogue and contributing to um, making a donation to a Jewish uh, organization and so forth. We saw these much higher rates uh, in Canada as compared to the U.S., and I think that it's fairly, um, there's a number of reasons that are 
relevant there. I mean, obviously, if you're engaged in activities with other um, Jewish kids or, or adults, uh, it creates a certain amount of cohesion. And that cohesion, I think especially, frankly, in light of rising anti-Semitism, which is also another factor, you know, that's going to contribute to your sense of the kind of family you want to have, the kind of, you know, your adherence to religion. Although I have to say, you probably know from the study that only about one third now of Jews in Canada, based on the study, actually reported that religion was a very important um, component of uh, their Jewish identity. Culture, ethnicity, these were other components of um, how Jews in Canada identified themselves as Jewish. And so when you're you know, attending camps or you're going to uh, you know, secondary school and you're learning about and you're involved in with other Jewish students, it does contribute to this level of cohesiveness and that cohesiveness strengthens your identity. You know, the more of these activities that you're engaged in, the stronger your Jewish identity. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that came up when I, uh, you know, first of all, at a basic level, I, uh, that idea of cohesion, right? The way that I used to talk about it is that uh, I tell people, well, if your friends from high school are, you know, if you graduate high school and you have a whole group of friends from a Jewish high school, you're going to see those friends two months later on campus and you're just going to, you're, you're going to go to Hillel, you're going to do stuff that is Jewish with them, you're going to get involved with them socially. And that changes the, the entire dynamic of whether you've gone to a Jewish school or versus, versus a non-Jewish school. So so it's good to hear that that's, that's actually there. But, you know, I was talking to campus professionals um, this week preparing for this, and I've been talking to them in the past and hearing about this. Um, but one of the things that I hear when I speak to these people, when I speak to students, is that there's a significant cadre of students that come from otherwise secular backgrounds. They haven't gone to Jewish uh, secondary school or don't have a lot of Jewish background, but they get um, activated, so to speak. They become engaged in Jewish life on campus when they get to university. Um, but those students, uh, what we find, or what I'm hearing, at least anecdotally, is that their locus of engagement is almost exclusively around Israel activism, right? And I suspect this relates to what you're finding in the research there, that students who've received the secondary education, that they have a wider set of values that fall under this rubric of what Judaism is, whether it's religion, whether it's culture, um, aside from this, you know, support for the state of Israel and that that's what I believe Judaism is. And, you know, those people have this diverse menu of Jewish activities in life that they do on, on campus. Right. Should we be strengthening our Hillels and whatever other Jewish groups are on campus to diversify these activities to get beyond this Jewish activism so that, as we were discussing, so much of Jewish life right now is just around Israel activism and, you know, BDS and anti-Semitism around there? Should we be moving that conversation by internally going and saying, hey, Jewish life is important beyond Right, what this is, and uh, you know, the way I, I I've always said it is uh, anti-Semitism. Right, if your whole Jewish identity is around anti-Semitism, you're basically saying the only reason why I have to be a Jew is to fight against people who don't like me. And and filling out the gaps of Jewish life on campus, especially in university life, seems to me one of the things that should be happening. And I'm not saying it's not happening at York. I, from what I understand, it is a very vibrant Jewish communal life. Um, but maybe you can address some of these things um, together and, and, and sort of see if how they connect in your mind. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say absolutely that it's very clear, and you, it starts with just even how Jews identify themselves 
um, as Jewish, not necessarily in terms of religion. So when you see that, and you see that you know two thirds of uh, the respondents that we interviewed, you know, said that it had to be it was at least two if not all three, of culture, ethnicity, and religion. And so when you understand that and you realize how important culture and ethnicity is to Jewish life and how people think of themselves as Jews and identify as Jews, then and you, we saw that the, more activi- the, the, more, the, the greater the diversity of the activities that you were involved in, the more likely you were to, to donate, to, to stay involved. And I, I want to come back to the issue of intermarriage as well. I absolutely, and when Bob and I went around and, and spoke to a number of organizations, we talked about the, the absolute importance of, of diversifying the different ways in which Jews can identify with different kinds of activities. And this impacts intermarriage. I mean, marriage is one of the my areas of, of research. And, you know, people marry people. They, they reject all kinds of people as ineligible on all kinds of criteria. People are still, on average, more likely to marry people more like themselves, more engaged in similar kinds of activities. And where do people meet their partners? You know, they most people, at least in your first marriage, um, meet people at school, at university, uh, you know, and the kinds of different kinds of activities that you, you would be engaged in, you know, uh, in your youth. And so it's not, it should come as no surprise that if, it's, and, and, and a number of those students who have met their partners, they actually met their partner even in high school. And that was the person they ended up marrying. And so it should come as no surprise that if, you know, uh, people are in a Jewish secondary school or if they're actively engaged on campus and if we understand that that it should be a plurality of ways in which Jewish students can connect, then that actually is going to enhance cohesiveness amongst Jewish students in the general population. Yeah, I always tell uh, students who come to me when they're graduating high school and ask me for advice. I used to teach in high school, and I don't do it anymore, but I know teens through synagogue and stuff. They ask me, what should I do when I get to university to be Jewish? And I always say, and this will be a great boon to your to the Jewish studies department, right? I always say, uh, get a minor in Jewish studies so that at least once a week you have your nose in a Jewish book and you're thinking about Jewish ideas constantly and you're being held accountable to it. Um, and that really speaks to that idea of saying we need to diversify what we're doing on campus as Jews beyond just, you know, that. And if we are able to think that there's, you know, so many different activities, Shabbat, uh, you know, dinners and holiday parties and cultural events um, and Jewish studies, uh, then, you know, whatever activism is happening on campus tends to sort of fade in the background because you realize that it's important, it's important to discuss, but there's so many other things that you have to approach as a Jew that are pro and not just anti. I love the fact that you tell them that. And, you know, I want to say that that really highlights also the importance of maintaining and supporting Jewish studies programs in Canadian universities. And the the idea, just as what you've said, of taking a course, you know, we you may not get huge numbers of students who decide to major in Jewish studies. But you can get a huge number who are interested in some of the courses and take courses as electives out of general interest, general education, 
So keeping not only the, the program and the courses um, available at university, but also, frankly, the research. I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful for the Kaczynski Center um, for Jewish Studies at York because it keeps faculty members engaged in the research. It produces that research. That research feeds the courses. And universities play an incredibly important role. York has a very long historical commitment to keeping Jewish studies and Jewish activities and Jewish clubs alive and well at the university level. What do you see as the future for Jewish studies uh, across Canada and at York in particular? I have pretty strong views about this because... Um, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, look, I in a Jewish studies program, I do think it's important to have courses on biblical studies. I do think it's important to make language courses available in Hebrew. Um, Yiddish would also, you know, keeping the Yiddish language alive would be, you know, lovely as well. Um, however, you are only going to get a certain number of students who will want to major in a program that's focused on biblical studies. And if we really are interested in the, the health and well-being of Jewish studies programs in Canada, and I certainly talk to um, the dean of my faculty of liberal arts and professional studies about our program, what will keep a much broader number of individuals engaged, not only Jews, but non-Jews, is when you start talking about the social issues, the socio-political issues, when you start talking about the factors that are impacting Jews in the diaspora, you know, it's, it's the social, economic, demographic questions including what we were just talking about, including intermarriage, including, you know, what influences um, assimilation versus retention. These are the really important questions that will, they're not, they're, they're more important questions than one might pursue if one is studying biblical studies, but they're much broader in scope. And now you've got political scientists and sociologists and psychologists and many others who are interested, who come to and have an interest in Jewish studies. And so I've long talked to uh, our folks about needing to ensure that we're including the humanities, the social sciences in how we approach Jewish studies and that we're, we're encouraging research you know, it was a real shock, um, not a shock because we knew about it for a very long time, but it was disappointing for Bob and me that so little research had been done on a, from a demographic point of view on Jews in Canada. And you compare that to the work that's been done in the U.S. We need more of that. We need more of that research. We need more of those courses. That's what I think will keep Jewish studies, you know, doing well far out into the future because those questions also concern the jewish population they concern they concern the the, the jews in the diaspora i have a question but i want to ask you something uh, related to your study first because i was talking about this topic the other day with a jewish friend of mine and telling him about the episode that we did with your husband and he was wondering whether there was any studies done on the difference between Jewish women and Jewish men, because he said that he found a lot of the Jewish women that he grew up with and went to university with ended up with Jewish partners, whereas a lot of the Jewish men that he knew intermarried and was wondering 
if there's any research to back this up or why that might be. Yeah. I wish you'd asked me this question just right after we finished the study, because some of it, unfortunately, is receding from my memory now. There, we did do some comparisons between the women and men in the study, for sure. Um, and we actually did note, note some differences. I'm just not remembering them right now. I, I may actually have to go and look them up. We also looked at age with youth and elderly. We, we found actually far fewer differences than we were expecting. Hmm. Um, but they're just right out of my head right now. That's okay. So um, going to my actual question that I wanted to ask around this. So you worked at McMaster University as well, and I was just wondering, um, what was anything that you noticed from working at McMaster that in terms of Jewish life that you were like, I want to bring this to York, or I want to make this better than what I saw at the previous university? And what's kind of like your vision of Jewish life on campus moving forward in that regard? You know, I see, I see despite how the media uh, represents the activities that are going on at different universities. Um, there's more similarities than there are differences, but I want to tell you, I really felt coming to York that there was a much more enhanced uh, presence and interest in Jewish studies in Jewish research, in Jewish student activities, how active Hillel was. I, I found, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to be, you know, polite to all the universities that I've worked with. Um, there, there was certainly a, a range of activities at McMaster as well. But, but I felt the presence more, I have to say, at York uh, than I did. And it could just be the historical um, numbers of Jewish students who, you know, who came to York, uh, and the early, you know, development of, you know, Jewish studies at York. But I, I think that York University has a lot to offer other universities in, you know, how you actually create a positive environment for Jewish students. And, and I know that there are some, uh, of my own friends out there who have challenged me on this, we, we get into these debates because of some of the stories that have been told about York over the years. And I'm not saying that there have not been any incidences at York that have been challenging, but York is an incredibly welcoming place for Jewish students. I mean, some of our own students have actually written testimonials because they're upset about the criticism that has sometimes been levied against um, York University. And I think from how we position and support Hillel from having the availability of kosher food, from having the center, uh, the Koshitsky Center for Jewish Studies, having the Jewish Studies programs. You know, we're very, right now we're really focused on trying to establish um, some York University chairs, some endowed chairs in Jewish Studies, specifically kind of pick up on you know, how you integrate both the humanities and social sciences and continue to track um, Jews in the diaspora. And there's some really interesting comparisons that are, that are happening right now between Toronto, Montreal versus Vancouver, Winnipeg that, that need attention. Um, so, and York is leading a lot of that work. 
We're very active. It's fascinating because, you know, when I, I went to Concordia, you know, around uh, about 20 years ago, and even then, York was always known as the place where you go. If you really want to be like the center of where all Jewish students are going to be, go to York. Not that McGill didn't have a lot of Jews, not that Concordia didn't have a lot of Jews, but York was always known as this place that was going to be a center of and, and a hub of Jewish activity. And it's great to see that. And it's great to see that that's actually starting to spread elsewhere as well. And I'm starting to hear positive things um, going elsewhere. Um, just to, to wrap things up, and I'm sure that that many students, you know, at York and elsewhere um, are curious about this. So I'd love to get your um, your input and to finally, you know, put a word, uh, a couple of words towards this. How do you see your own Jewish identity um, and how does it interact with you as a public figure, um, both within the, your own university, the university uh, world in general in Canada, the academic world, um, and public life in Canada and, you know, in general as well? You know, it's really interesting. Earlier in my career, I tended to be much more private about, you know, who I was as a person and talking about gender issues, for example, which was, I think, you know, when I first came into university, a very prevalent issue for me. Over the years, I've come to understand that when you're in these roles, you need to share who you are as a person, actually. You've got an opportunity as a leader, uh, whether or not it's in higher education or other sectors. And I have a Jewish identity as a leading a university, the third largest university in Canada. I have, I, I think very much about uh, my Jewish identity as a mother and, you know, having Jewish children and what that means when they're faced with some of the challenges of rising anti-Semitism. Um, I, I carry that identity with me as a professor. And so it's, you know, it's, I think we've got a very important role when we hold these jobs. And I was part of the reason why I very much wanted to do this study with my husband, because as a sociologist, I think it was incredibly important that we had some data, wanted that data to be available. Um, it's, I think, partly why I believe that when instances happen on university campuses, that you have to take them head on. We have a responsibility to take them um, head on. Thank you so much. Dr. Rhonda Lenton, please feel free to come on any other time you want to discuss um, any of these issues or other issues related to university life uh, in Canada and at York University. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So Avi, it is Mother's Day this Sunday, right? And I was just thinking about how, as Jews in the diaspora, we've adopted so many of these secular holidays. We've adopted Mother's Day, Father's Day, some Jews even celebrate Thanksgiving. As a rabbi, what, what is your take on this? Is it good for the Jews? Is it bad for the Jews? Do we care at all? Um, how has this happened? Why are we celebrating these things now as part of our own culture? So, uh, you know, well, to begin with, you know, honoring one's parents is uh, one of the Ten Commandments. I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, uh, but it is in the Ten Commandments, right? That one should honor one's father and one's mother. Um, and therefore, yeah. you know, having a day to honor one's parents is, uh, you know, it's clearly, you know, an important thing to honor one's parents. Now, the question is, uh, that you're asking seems to be more, should we be doing it on a specific day, on a uh, holiday and turning it into a specific day when we take our parents, our mother to brunch or we do something with our dad, you know, um, and we give them a gift and we remind them that, you know, that this is the day that we, we want to remind ourselves that we honor them. There are as many opinions out there as there are uh, Jews out there and probably even more, right? The two Jews, three opinions. So uh, there's 
as many Jews will have so many opinions about all of this stuff. Um, and I've seen things as, you know, from one end, which is, yes, absolutely, we should be celebrating Mother's Day. We should be celebrating Father's Day. It's great that a society has decided to recognize that this is an important thing to uh, other people who will reject it out of hand and say, well, anything secular is wrong. And uh, uh, what's this point of having Mother's Day? Every day is Mother's Day. Every day is Father's Day. And uh, as you know, that like, if you do something for all the time, then you're not really doing something for none of the time, right? I can easily go and say, well, every day we should be repenting and therefore we shouldn't have a Yom, HaKippur, Yom Kippur. Right. right? And every day we should be celebrating, right? And remi- remembering that the we, we left Egypt and yet we have Pesach, right? And so we do all of these things. We do have special days to commemorate different things. We do not have certain days specifically of Thanksgiving um, in this way that like Thanksgiving has become this North American holiday. It's much more celebrated by Jews in in America than it is here in Canada. Um, but Mother's Day and Father's Day have become this like, you know, days in which are relatively secular. There's nothing religious attached to it. And a lot of people want to do it. So I, I don't think that Judaism would have anything specific to go and say, uh, you absolutely should not be celebrating this day. Um, do I think that it's a nice thing to celebrate? Yes, I think that parents who are not being celebrated on this day, and instead you're telling them, well, every single day is Mother's Day. You know, the Torah doesn't have anything specific to say about that, but it kind of makes people feel left out, and that might not be a good thing. Um, In fact, I actually found something interesting to think about in terms of this um, in this week's Torah portion. No, it's great. I I know, interesting. That's what we do as rabbis. You you can find a connection in the Torah portion to anything. Um, um, There's a line at the beginning of the of the of the Torah portion this week, Parshat Kedoshim, that says Ish imo ve'aviv tira'uv et shabtotai tishmaru. Right, Ani Hashem, right, and that a person should should revere his parents, his father and his mother, or his mother and his father in this case, to to follow the literally uh, connection there, and that one should observe the Shabbat. Now, if I ask you, right, what is Shabbat about? Why do we celebrate Shabbat? Um, there are different reasons in, given in the Torah for why we celebrate Shabbat. Some of them say it's to remind us of the creation of the of the world. Some of it is to remind to remind us that um, we have to rest because um, you know God rested and that the, and the Egyptians didn't allow us to rest and therefore we create a day of rest for our servants, um, for everybody, for our employees. I wouldn't shouldn't say our servants, right? Um, and the idea that like we have a specific day designated. But I would go and say that every single day that we have is designated um, for we. We should be thinking about the creation of the world. We should be thinking about the exodus. We should be thinking about the welfare of our employees every single day. And yet we have Shabbat, which is a day specially dedicated to that. And I think the fact that these two things are connected, one can easily go and say, for the same way that one should revere one's one's parents um, all of the time, one should have an opportunity to go and say, well, on specific days, we should be able to honor them and revere them and tell them, hey, this is a special day when I want to recognize the um, what you have given me as a gift in in terms of life, in terms of upbringing, and all of that. And so Mother's Day, I think, um, is not particularly a Jewish holiday. And yet the sentiment behind it to be able to honor our parents cannot possibly be more Jewish. Um, And so therefore, you should absolutely buy some flowers, take your mother to brunch, buy her a gift, maybe from Atelier Lou Jewelers, right? Um, And um, you know, go ahead and uh, don't go and say that this is a religious day and then we have to go and uh, make a blessing and say Hallel and do all of the other things that we would do on a Jewish holiday. Um, But it is is not un-Jewish and I really... 
I don't like this strain of thought of these people who go and say, well, it's non-Jewish, so therefore it must be automatically rejected. There are great non-Jewish ideas that are out there. And for you to go and say, well, every day is Mother's Day and therefore we shouldn't have a Mother's Day, I will reject that and go and say that there are many specific days in the Jewish holiday that we in the Jewish calendar that we honor very specific moments and very specific ideas. And um, it's not to the ex- exclusion of the, those ideas existing elsewhere in the calendar year. How does that make you feel? That, those are all very fair points, but it's true. I mean, I have no problem with Mother's Day. I was mostly being a devil's advocate. <laughs> I've always celebrated Mother's Day. I was wondering, in Israel, do they celebrate Mother's Day? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's a it's a primarily North American phenomenon. Even in Europe, I don't I, I don't think that it's there. I mean, the different you know cultures have different things. You you have Singles Day in 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 Asia, right? And you know, and Children's Day, and you don't have those days in really. Absolutely, there's a Singles Day. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the date of it, and that there's a lot of customs around that. And uh, I'm not an expert in other holidays of other cultures and stuff. Well, then I guess you will be able to answer my next question, which was, do you happen to know where the Mother's Day and Father's Day phenomena even came from? Like, was it the government thing, and they were like, let's do this, or some mother came up I mean, with it. I have a feeling and I, I we could do the research if you really wanted but I have a feeling that it's a Hallmark holiday as in it's a holiday invented by greeting right. cards and by commercial establishments to uh, encourage uh, the purchasing of things which uh, are trinkets which will make uh, you feel good that you have honored your mother and father in a meaningful way I uh, that's a part that I actually will reject I'm not a big fan of of the the meaningless you know pieces of uh uh, you know, junk that accumulate in the house when you go and say, hey, happy Father's Day. Here is something that, you know, has a fishing lure on it. And therefore, I know you like fishing. Happy Father's Day. It was like when you, I, I don't know if you're getting, if you get those cards, um, but I remember being in preschool and for Father's Day, it was always like uh, shaped like a tie or a baseball. And for mothers, it was like a heart or a flower because we live in a gendered society. But anyway, I was going to say, um, if anyone's listening who knows the answer to our question about where did Mother's Day and Father's Day come from, please send us an email. We would love to hear. Absolutely. And uh, tell us the interesting holidays that you know of elsewhere um, that don't exist in Canada and how we can Jewify them. And I'll find, try to find a connection to the weekly portion of the week whenever it is. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, anyways. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Mother's Day in Judaism in a nutshell, I think. And now we're at the time of our show where we get to talk about our nachas, that thing that makes us feel good and made us feel good over the past week about being Jewish, Canadian, and all of those things. Alana, what's your nachas of the week? So I discovered something that's incredibly entertaining. I have a feeling it's going to be addictive when they have more episodes come out. But it's called Two Jews Shoes, to the number two. And it's Ilana Glazer's brother. So Ilana Glazer's the actor on Broad City. So her brother, Elliot Glazer, started this new mini show. They were like a few minutes each through Comedy Central where he brings on a different Jewish celebrity guest and gives them two different things like butter versus cream cheese, Uber versus taxi. And then the celebrity has to say if it's Jewish, which one is Jewish and which one is Goyish. Um, It's very cute. I had a lot of fun watching it and like agreeing or disagreeing with what the celebrity said. And the first episode just came out this past week. Um, so check that out in Comedy Central. They are posting it on Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of places. So you you know that the the origin of this type of idea of things that are Jewish and Goyish comes from Lenny Bruce, right? Who was uh, a real life character, not just a character on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm aware he was a real person. 
he had this whole bit about uh, things that are Jewish and things that are Goyish, right? And there are things that are Jewish that are clearly Goyish and vice versa. It's like a whole bit, right? Like Kool-Aid is Goyish, um, pumpernickel bread is Jewish, and white bread is Goyish, is very Goyish, instant potatoes are Goyish, black cherry soda is very Jewish, macaroons are very Jewish, very Jewish cake, fruit salad is Jewish, lime jello is Goyish, lime soda is very Goyish, right? Trailer parks are so Goyish that Jews won't go even go near them, Jack Parshow is very Goyish, (laughs) underwear is Goyish, right? Like, this is like his, this whole bit, and I, I love it, and I think that that's true, that there are things that are, have that Jewishness in them, even if they're not particularly, like, you know, definitively, like, or by definition Jewish, and there are things that are Goyish that even Jews do. So, you know, in light of what we were just talking about, um, Mother's Day should be celebrated by Jews, um, but Mother's Day is a little Goyish. A little waspy with the flowers, the pristineness. Although Mother's Day is more Jewish than Father's Day. Mother's Day is more Jewish. Oh, because because Jewish people love their Jewish mamas? Is, is that the stereotype that we're leaning into? Yeah, I think that there's a certain, yeah, I think I think that that's, that's there. I learned this. So we got married on on. on Father's Day, and we we had figured this out fairly early on, and it's not like we would have been able to get married a month earlier; it wasn't working out. But we realized that you could ne- you can get married on Father's Day, but God forbid you should ever schedule something, even as important as a wedding, on Mother's Day because nobody will show up. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not a good More idea fathers. to schedule things on Mother's Day. You gotta ha- give the time for people to go to brunch, and it's what it is. It's the life of the father. Um, yeah, so Jewish and Goyish. I like that. What's it called again? That that uh, the show. Two Jews choose. Two Jews choose. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Yeah, they, it's through Comedy Central, so they have it on YouTube and Facebook Beautiful. and a bunch of other places. Um, I am going to say as my nachas is that last night um, in the transition from Yom Hazikaron to Yom Ha'atzma'ut, uh, our kids' school for the first time in. Uh, two years plus have had um, had an activity in school where all the parents were invited. It was the Yom Ha'atzmut celebration. Um, they start with this big, uh, you know, discussion around, not discussion, but a commemoration of Yom HaZikaron, of the fallen soldiers and victims of terror in Israel. Um, and then they transition to the joy of Yom Ha'atzmut. And I got to see my kids uh, perform on stage in, in a room full of people and to celebrate Yom Ha'atzmut. It was a really beautiful moment um, because the absence of that uh, made you realize how much you, you miss it. And, you know, Kids' performances are always a little corny, and there's always some kid accidentally poking somebody else with a flag and letting go of their <laughs> balloon too early and all that stuff. Um, but it's beautiful. You know, at some point I had some, you know, monologue in my brain, and I went to a person who was sitting next to me who I oh, I know, and I was like, wow, so that song I think cost me about $8,000, um, you know, all things included. <laughs> but um, but it was really beautiful um, to see. Was that by the word? No, in terms of like, think about how many years it cost for all this kids education divided by you know how long and and the preparation of that yeah yeah yeah. anyways um but you know for all the times that we can complain about the cost of jewish education and the problems with jewish schools and all these things um there are some times when you get together with a couple of hundred parents and realize that um there is something profoundly jewish and beautiful and celebratory um to gathering around jewish celebrations um in your kids schools so that is a beautiful nachas and a shout out to my kids for doing that 
Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of May 6th, Shabbat Parashat Kedoshim. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production is by Andre Goulet. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do share uh, this podcast with a friend of yours. Tell them to come subscribe if uh, you appreciate the show. I'm sure your friends will as well. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. And I'm Ilana Zakon. This episode has been brought to you by Looking Back, Moving Forward, 160 Years of Jewish Life in B.C. Published by the Jewish Museum and Archives of British Columbia for their 50th anniversary, this elegant volume is a once-in-a-generation collection of Jewish life and history throughout the province. Order your copy today at jewishmuseum.ca.